Hey guys, so welcome to another episode for the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. And today we have Australian actress, singer, and dancer, Kat Hoyas. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Uh, I mean, as good as you can be right now. <laughs> so you've got an incredible story, what you're going to talk about. But uh, anybody who's just listening to the audience over in the US or the UK, so Kat, basically an actress, singer, dancer, Basically, she's a triple threat to everybody. Uh, <laughs> she does everything. Um, an amazing actress. You'll have seen her in highly acclaimed productions such as Hairspray and Jersey Boys, TV series best known um, Here Comes the Habibs, amongst many other TV series, and the feature film that came out recently, Chasing Comets with Isabel Lucas, Bo Ryan, and Dan Ewan. So you've done a lot of stuff in your career already. Yeah, look, it's been... Um a really fascinating journey. I mean, as a performer being a triple threat and being able to move around um, has been like really fun because um, well, you just don't really know where your life's going to take you and you start somewhere and it leads to something else, which leads to something else. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's great that I can move around. So did you start initially when you went, well, let's take it back from the beginning. When did you find a love of of acting or did you start with singing first or dancing first? Oh, uh, well, you know, I think it's a given when you're young and your parents see a talent in you. And actually my mum put me into modeling when I was little. And then um, one of the, the bits of feedback that they got was like, oh, maybe you should put her into dance class. So then I went and did dancing and I was like, mum, I love dancing, hate modeling, <laughs> which is probably uh, the best thing I did because I am not tall enough or <laughs> have all those features anyway. Um, so yeah, just, just did, did the whole dancing thing throughout school and then um, decided to do drama and I really liked that. And I was also singing in choirs. So it's just like this natural, I was just leaning into the creative arts ev for everything that I was doing extracurricular um you know I, I loved reading like throughout my childhood my mum would take me to the library every every week and I'd go and grab like 10 books and I'd just read them all and then we'd go back and I think that just really helped my imagination I was an only child too so mm. um, um it just it just kept feeding into my creativity and um it was a great way to escape it was a great way to to remain joyful and, and tap into your imagination at yeah. times when you, you know need the inspiration and and enjoy in your life. So yeah, after I finished high school, um, my mum said to me, I don't care what you do as long as you get a degree. Mm. So I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna go and do something artsy. <laughs> um, so I auditioned uh, for a couple of different universities for different theatre courses and decided to go to Wollongong Uni to do the theatre degree for three years. Mm. So that was really great. And I mean, straight after high school, especially like being an only child and um, not growing up with a father, not having sort of like that, that male figure around me, I was, and also going to an all girls high school, you know, it was just a very different experience going into university and, and meeting people from so many different areas of Australia. And then also like, it's very, <laughs> as you go into theatre school, it's uh, almost like therapy for three years and you just tap into like all the deep, dark, vulnerable stuff that you just suppress and then you have to access that. Um, but also like learning about the, the technicalities of acting, um, lots of reading, like dramaturgy, learning about the voice. Um, but then after that, I was like, 
okay, I just need a break. So I went and um, did some backpacking for about four and a half months and saw the world and, and lived, you know, without, without having to think about um, things to do about my, my skill set. It was just more about exploring the world and, and meeting different people from different cultures. And like, that was so great to have done that because it, it gave me compassion and empathy even more so to understand why people are the way they are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was a really good, um, like journey in, in human behavior as well. Would that, would that attribute to make you a little bit more better in terms of your craft as well? You've gone out, you've taken a break, you've stepped back, you learn to understand people like you say, but then when you go into your craft, you can develop into characters a little bit different because you know how to understand characters in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I think obviously the big thing through, um, studying characters is understanding their point of view. And everyone's point of view is is very subjective to their own behavior, their culture, their way of life. So the more I lived in those situations personally, the more I could tap into it yeah. from a more truthful place rather than I think it's like this. Yeah. Um, which at times you, you kind of need to anyway. But uh, I, I love being able to have that experience for myself. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I did that, came back and then just started going to auditions and I had lots of different gigs. I worked in um, theatre and education. I did gigs at like shopping centres and I was a backup dancer and I was in music clips and I was on stage and I did commercials and like I, just anything and everything that was available to me at the time, I, I jumped at the chance to learn and go, okay, I've done that. Do I like it? Do I not like it? I mean, I, I even did like... Um, uh, what do they call them? The character suit operators. Oh, yeah. So I was like Bart Simpson once upon a time. And I did that once and I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> Never again. I died. I was like severely dying in that suit. But it was good to do that because, you know, when people do that as a job, I can appreciate what they do and, and not, you know. Some, some people just like, like once you've lived a person's shoes, yeah. very common saying. You, you come in with a sense of empathy and compassion towards them. So, yeah, it was great because not only was I learning about other skills in the industry, I was sort of learning like backstage production, all the other elements that I would not have necessarily learnt myself but learnt on the job. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it just becomes that sense of like gratitude for everyone having their, their particular job and saying, you know, we're all here to make this work together. There's no need for me to be uh, dramatic or be a diva or be egotistical because everybody for me is on an equal playing field when yeah. I'm on set or when I'm on stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that was really it. It was just like that natural progression. And once I'd done things, I was like, all right, I want to move into musical theater. So I went and did that. And then after that, I was like, okay, now I want to do film and TV more. So I just, it's just that focus sort of move from here to here to here. Yeah. And now like the next part of my journey is um, tapping into the American market. So I've been going back and forth um, from Australia to LA and living there for a little while and then coming home. And, and that's been, it's been really, really great, but it's, it's also comes with its own set of challenges because I feel like at times I'm living in two different worlds with, with two different sets of friends and um, responsibilities and, also culturally understanding how the Americans work and 
everything that is entailed with that, with like social security and banking and the way that they deal with, with rent and checks and, and part of you is like, this is so backwards. Why can't you just do it this way? (laughs) Which I'm sure you're aware of um, having gone there numerous times. Um, Yeah. And then everything just sort of pauses and then you come home and you have to pick up where you left off and, it can be a bit tricky because those job opportunities that you've been working so hard on, um, they would sort of go out and find people to replace you. And then you have to like reconnect with those people. And, and um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of like luck and opportunity and timing, but I suppose yeah, that that's part of it. That is a question that I've actually got that I've, that just popped in my head. And first, before I get to that question, I have to tell you whether you believe in coincidence or serendipitous moments. The funny thing the other day when we were, talking about doing this podcast so at the time because other than the wiggles or pepper pig because i've got two little kids i don't watch tv much but the funny thing was the other day i turned something on whether whether it was a meme or whatever it popped up on facebook it was your program here comes the habibs and it was you and the policewoman had taken your phone off you and you was losing your shit (laughs) oh yeah yeah Oh, I was talking to Sam, who was also in the show and he played yeah. my brother. And um, we realized that one particular episode in season two was about quarantine. <laughs> well, that's and what um, popped up and I was just like, I was like, oh, well, this is meant to be then. We're supposed to do this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, and we were looking at like little um, moments in the show and we're like, oh my gosh, how funny. Because it's pretty much like how life is right now. Yeah. that we have to stay away from each other or be in quarantine or, you know, I mean, in, in my character's case, she wasn't allowed to have a phone to, to um, post anything because they didn't want to let um, the rest of Australia know what was going on. Yeah. It's totally different in Australia right now and the rest of the world. But yeah, it was just that sense of hysteria and all the protective gear and what they were saying. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's, life right now (laughs) so then going to my question um and i've never asked it because i've never thought of this way but when you was talking then it just popped in my head so you a lot of you guys who are actors you go over to la and you spend maybe a month or two months there and because i've been to la a lot and i kind of know what it's like to you get wrapped up in the creativity and you just love it there's like a buzz in there like nothing else and Mm. especially you put your your public persona or what the work you've done in Australia on hold whilst you go and do this. And then you suddenly, like you say, you have to come back and it's almost like you have to tread the steps again. How does that play on anyone in that industry's kind of well-being, mental health? Oh, that's a, that's a doozy of a question. Um, (laughs) I think everybody's got their own individual experience and I can only talk about my own. Um, it can be hard because I mean, there was, there was one year where I got three jobs in the beginning of the year and I turned them all down to go and do pilot season in LA. So I, I had to turn down the, the certainty of work because I got the job for the uncertainty of what could be in LA and the potential abundance with that. Um, that was a big decision because usually like in the beginning of the year, it's a little bit quiet um, because, you know, it's holidays and whatnot. And that was giving me work for a few months and then going over there and, um, you know, not landing a pilot, but 
everything else that came with it was was abundant in a different way it just wasn't financial if if that's like the two things i was looking at um but then the the downside of that having come back was like oh well you haven't worked you haven't gotten a job in this many months um you know you've you've got to get a job and i'm like well i turned down work you know so that that kind of like plays a little bit on my my anxiety a little bit on the um i mean it's the it's the uncertainty again of like okay when am i going to get that next job and how and all right in the meantime how will i make ends meet because um obviously the australian and us dollar aren't the same so every time i go over i'm i'm like tapping into my savings a lot and you're just always spending the money investing investing and it's investment in in my craft but it's still like going outweighs (laughs) you know um so yeah it's tricky that like part of me now goes oh should i have taken work or but then i was like no because you had great auditions and you were you were in the room with some fantastic people and like people that you would never thought oh my gosh i'm in the same room as you right now um, and they're giving me great feedback. So those sorts of moments, I'm like, you, you can't buy that. You can't pay for that. And that was, that was me making that decision for myself and putting in the work into my craft and it paying off in certain ways. Yes, maybe not landing the job, but there's so many other factors that come in when you get to that point um, that are so out of my control. And, and you learn this, like the higher up you go in your craft, that it's not even about your talent anymore it becomes about politics within the industry and who you know and um who the director might want to submit or the producers or the network um favors <laughs> come into play mm. um you know or even like the fact that i'm still a new face that's walking into the room and even though i have credentials in australia um there's still that sort of like okay but what has she done here yeah. conversation that takes place and, and that's not my fault that's just like having to do what I did here and just sh- keep showing up and people um, getting to know me and then sort of going yeah I can back her up because I've seen her a number of times in the room and she's always delivered and um, she's really lovely in the room and she's great to work with so you know there's there's all that start stuff that I need to keep building up um, to get to that point where someone's like yeah let's give her a shot But again, it's like, I'm not over there a hundred percent of the time. So even though I'm doing so much groundwork over there, I come over back to Australia and then I'm not seen for a while and just working via self tape mode. So it's like catch 22, you know, (laughs) part of, a part of me is like, should I just live in LA? But then the other part of me is like, well, then you're going to be working to pay for bills. And a lot of, of my friends who are permanently there, it becomes about paying the bills and um, just trying to survive. And I don't want to have that feeling being in LA. I want to go over there and, and feel like I'm here for the work um, and I'm here to create. It's, um, it's, it's a very hard and you've really got to have that like kind of growth mindset that, you know, it's baby steps and you learn it. And I mean, with the, with the campaign, each time I go over there, it's kind of someone asks me and goes, how long are you here for? And you tell them because you've got an end date because that's how long you can stay there. And they're like, mm. oh, well, that's good. We can help you at this point. But then if you don't come back for another amount of months, 
we might have forgot you because mm. you so it's yeah it's a really strong one but that that takes me to the next one where we go in with the with the questions on the podcast you recently went to la um mm-hmm. and then had to come back when you when you obviously finished and that takes us into a whole new story what we're going to talk about today <laughs> what you can't hurt people enough to do so for anyone listening um the campaign put an initiative out to help the medical professionals just for people to start staying at home um there has been people on the news that are still I don't think in Australia are quite understanding the severity of the coronavirus that's happening. I mean, first of all, you was in the US when it first came about. What was it like and what was the environment like there first? Yeah, well, um, it was it was starting to become a thing in Australia before I left. So the conversations was taking taking place. There was some media stuff happening. So it was kind of funny that like I left for the US just before it got crazy right. in Australia. Um and I was there like doing my thing and everything was normal in LA. And like, meanwhile, my fiance was like updating me with what was going on in Australia and yeah. the, the toilet paper thing was happening and food supplies were running out. And I was like, what is going on right now? But like in LA, everything was just as normal. Um, so I was like, Oh, that's so weird that, you know, it's all going crazy in Australia, but with the country so big like um, America that there, there was not much going on. And I actually saw yesterday um, someone had put up a news article from some American source and it was around the time Kobe Bryant had died. And so there's this massive story about Kobe Bryant on one side and there was like this tiny column about the coronavirus, um, you know, just like that it's around and they're trying to find a vaccine, but like, that was it. And I think, when did that happen? Like the last week of January, he passed away. So it was not like they didn't know what was happening. It was just nothing was being done. Yeah. And then it wasn't until, um, so I, I had planned to fly back anyway, March 15. So the week of that, um, so things were starting to like take place. People were a little bit nervous and unsettled. And I think it wasn't until Trump had announced that flights were, uh, from Europe were banned was when things really started to amp up and um, and the whole sanitizer thing was was starting to become yeah. scarce um, but the toilet paper thing wasn't happening yet um, and then on the Thursday like three days before I'd left I had just finished um, studying at the Groundlings which is a comedy improv school in LA it's a pretty big one and um, that day we were like, oh, we're going we're gonna to miss the, the closure of things by the skin of our hairs. Like we've graduated. Um, and then that day uh, they had announced like Disney had shot and the NBA was finished for the, for the season. Um, Universal Studios, like big things were closing down. And so everyone was like, oh, this sounds serious. This is not, this is not something that we will forget in a day. And um, and then on Friday, it got crazier. The shops were starting to become a bit of a thing. And then on Saturday, the day before I flew in, uh, our Prime Minister had announced that anyone flying internationally into Australia have to go into forced self-quarantine for two weeks. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, this is terrible. Oh, my gosh. But at the same time, like, people were cancelling their flights to go home. Um, people were deciding to stay in America rather than 
um, go back home because they, they didn't want to do that. But then, and, and I, I even went through that dilemma. I was like, do I just stay here because everyone, like I can be outside and everything's still kind of going okay. Uh, Cause I, I really didn't want to go home and stay in my home for two weeks. <laughs> Nobody wants to. Yeah. Um, but I was like, okay, but then if it gets worse, I could be stuck here and I might not be allowed to come back. There was so much uncertainty. So I made the decision to go. And then on the Sunday, like two hours before I got to the airport, they had just announced in LA that they were closing bars, restaurants, um, gyms, like all those sorts of places uh, to be shut. Mm. And like even leading up to the Saturday, the Friday, like driving around in LA was like quiet. Like you could get from one side to the other side of LA in like 20 minutes as opposed to 45 to an hour. Like all the lights were green. There was no traffic around. It was really eerie, really eerie. And even driving through like where um, the Chinese theater is, you know, that main like touristy hotspot. Yeah. There was nobody there. Wow. I was just, it, it's such a weird sensation to be part of um, that movement and see it all unravel for yourself. But then also knowing you're about to enter into a, your own country and see how they're handling it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then <laughs> I got to the airport to LAX thinking it's going to be crazy. There's going to be people like, sanitizing everything and spraying down and wiping and there'd be masks and gloves and they'd be giving us all of that sort of stuff and I got there and the airport was unusually quiet like there were certainly less people around but um in terms of like hygiene and and cleanliness it was just kind of like business as usual some people were wearing masks um the social distancing was was told to us but Hardly anyone was doing it. Right. And I was just like, okay, aren't we supposed to keep distance from one another right now? Um, but there was like nothing there for us to help ourselves with um, sanitizer or, you know, you, you're touching all of these things and you're at the customs and you're putting your luggage on stuff. And, you know, there's, there's so much of that going on, but there's just nothing there to help facilitate to stay clean throughout that process. And I was just a little bit shocked and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to document this just so that people know what's going on because a lot of people were asking me, um, you know, what's happening in LA, what's happening in America, my friends in Australia and, and vice versa. When I got to Australia, my American friends were asking me what's happening over there. So I thought, oh, I may as well just keep track of it. Um, yeah, so on the flight, I was expecting the same thing and no one had masks or gloves or sanitizer and we just we got to our chairs and the the flight was probably half full and they said you know if you want to move away you're more than welcome to so I was like great because I was sitting in a row of three and we were all in those seats and I was like oh no I'm moving (laughs) Um, so I moved to the row in front and uh, there was a seat between us which was fine and luckily you know I had my sanitizer with me so I was just like wiping down everything and Um, I had my supplements with me as well that I'd been taking the week of and they were like antivirals and stuff. So I felt like I gave myself the best chance to be as protected as possible. Um, And they didn't mention anything about the virus. Uh, When we 
were about to land in Australia, they usually give a spiel about customs and what you can bring into the country, um, fruits and things. And then they talked about, you know, if you've been to these countries, the Caribbean, Africa, they mentioned um, malaria, um, Ebola, swine flu, but they didn't mention Corona at all. The only time they they did was um, literally when the plane stopped and they gave us fact sheets and they were one page fact sheets. And they said to us, you know, look after yourselves over the next, the next two weeks. And I was kind of like, hang on a minute. Like, why are you pretending as though nothing's happening? <laughs> yeah. I, I understand you don't want to instill fear in people, but like, we've just been told from our own countries that this is something we need to be aware of. And there are no protective measures in place right now in the most, um, in the most like, infested pockets you know the, the plane the airports there's so many people floating around i was just like a little bit in shock and almost angry at what was happening um and then yeah it was the same thing having to go through customs there was literally like one a-frame do you do you have any of these symptoms no one would would bother stopping and looking at that and then you've got your check-in desk we you need to be like yes i've um I haven't been to these countries, et cetera, et cetera. And then they did mention, have you traveled to any of these countries? And at the time it was only Iran, Italy and China, but they didn't mention like USA or anything. Um, and then, yeah, got through customs fine and got my suitcase, went through customs as per normal. Again, nobody's wearing masks. There's no spray. There's no wipes. Like I would have thought at least that the trolleys, that there'd be something for us to wipe the trolleys down because we'd just come off a 15-hour flight. Mm. But there's just nothing. And <laughs> um, my fiancé came to pick me up and he's like, I'll meet you outside. I'm not going to be inside the airport. Um, so, yeah, he met with me and then literally had gone from the airport straight to my home and was there for two weeks. And, yeah, the next part of it... Um, being in self-isolation, that was really hard because... Say, how did that play on you to be taken for someone that likes traveling and is around people all the time, that obviously loves the craft to be then consumed to a house for two weeks? How was that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that I think I was saying to you before that I can stay at home for three, four days and, and be okay with it. But it's the fact that you you know you don't have the choice to leave yeah. can play on your mind a bit because it's it's about the freedom of choice. You don't have the freedom of choice first of all, and then the the news that was coming into me personally. So I had um, a job lined up and found out I think it was day two or three with me being in self isolation, and that was cancelled. So that was kind of like my first blow. And then all my other like bread and butter work, which is, you know, teaching, acting or singing or having, doing some private one-on-one -on -one coaching that was all done because um, the whole like social gatherings thing, non-essential um, venues and places had to close down. So that was like, okay, the next part of my income is now gone as well. And then to add to this with everything that was going on, I'm, I was supposed to get married on the 18th of April and um, it got to that point where the, the limitations was uh, the celebrant, the couple and two witnesses um, were allowed. 
and I already had two of my bridesmaids unable to come because one was in the UK and the other one was in Florida. And then I had my other friend here in Australia. So I was like, I already had two out of my three unable to come. And we had family there that were like over 65 and, you know, there were, there's so many factors like coming into play that we had to make that really hard decision to postpone the wedding. Um, which in hindsight, glad we did because we couldn't have really have done it anyway. And I don't want to put anyone at risk. Um, especially after knowing, um, just on the 13th day of my 14 day isolation that my flight had more than 20 confirmed Corona cases. And this was information that got told to me from a friend who was also on the same flight as me. And she's been herself just going online and seeing all that information. And then she told me, Nobody I was like, you're from the flight. No, wow. no, we got no word from Qantas. We got no word from um, New South Wales health or um, no word from the government stating, Hey, just so you know, keep an eye on your flight. Like, there are so many flights interstate, um, international that have confirmed cases. And they did not say to us, please keep an update on, um, because if you have confirmed cases, you may be at risk. Yeah. And I, I had like flu-like symptoms for a few days before I was allowed out and was fine within like four days. And I called the hotline, but they were like, look, if you get worse, let us know. But I got better. So I thought, oh, well, then I don't need to call. But once I found out that I had confirmed cases, I called them back and I was like, hey, um, I did not know this, but I've got confirmed cases on my flight and I had flu-like symptoms. And they still said to me, you know, you don't have to do it, but if you feel like you need to go and get yourself tested. And I was like... I'm going to get tested because (laughs) of that information that was not even told to me. And it's kind of important. Mm. Um, So yeah, on my first day allowed to be out, I went and got myself tested and had the swabs in the throat and the nostrils, which was terrible. Um, It's (laughs) so not good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, I should know like either today or tomorrow if I'm positive or negative. But they even said to me, look, if you, even if you come back negative, it still might be in your body. What? And I was like, well, what's the point? Of doing this? Yeah. And, and you were yeah. talking about, obviously, Reese, your partner, he's been with you for mm. 14 days. Did yeah. you get checked? I brought him to the clinic and I told them the situation. They're like, Is he, does he have any symptoms? And he said no. And they said, well, unless you've got symptoms, we're not going to test you. So, because I'm sure I heard something on the news the other day that Australia are actually more, more ahead of everything in terms of how many kits they've got because we've got a smaller population than obviously places like America that can't keep up with the demand of people getting tests. Yeah, how come we're not seeing everybody that's been somebody? Because you put something on your Insta stories as well. So, guys, if you're not following her. Go on her Insta stories because she's keeping everyone documented on all of this. And <laughs> was it when you'd been to the, you'd been to get tested, they gave you near enough, was it like six to 10 pieces of information that even you took? Oh yeah, I've got it right here. Let me show you. That was a lot.
<laughs> All right. So when I got off the flight, I got one of these, which was just a one page. Yeah. And now it's become a two pager because they've obviously got more information. Yeah. But I got like, you know, identify the symptoms, which they probably should have given to people on the plane. Yeah. <clears throat> and then got some thank you card, like a six page fact sheet. Um, and then how to stop spreading and also how to wash your hands because that's really important. Um, but yeah, I got this all at the place of where you get tested, meaning you would have shown the symptoms anyway. But what I don't understand, like, like you were saying on your stories is the fact that when you are due to go on a flight, you always get a scheduled email that tells you, Oh, your flight's coming up in this many days. So who's at the helm of Qantas at the minute or these flight centers who can't just send out a generic email to the people that have all been on these flights, just going, Oh, there has been confirmed cases. It would be better if you're showing these symptoms to go and get checked. Like mm. nothing of that. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Like we got given a generic test, people who weren't flying just overall from yeah. the government saying, you know, make sure you wash your hands and keep, your distance and if you're feeling sick contact this number with like a very generic message but yeah. in terms of like anyone who's flown and getting a generic text to out of to all of them there's nothing like that and they've all got our details they've, they know where we live they've got our number our email our passport number but it, it's it's not that hard too for like all the flight carriers to send that email out to everyone who's flown and you found out the numbers or something where the seats were they were behind you yeah so on my particular flight i was on row uh, 73 and i decided to move to row 72 and there was a confirmed case on 71 and between like sections 50 to 89 or something like, like that there were like 20 in that pocket alone so I was just sitting there for 15 hours surrounded by people who have the virus or didn't even know they had the virus. But the thing is, um, on, a, on a long haul international flight, you get up, you go to the bathroom, you walk around, people walk around, they cough, they like, so yeah, that's just. Yeah. And no one was coughing on the flight. Like I, I was consciously hearing out for people who were sick, but it's moving away. no, no. Yeah. Like the minute someone sneezes, like I'm out of here. Thank you. Um, but, but no one was, was like that. Mm. Um, so whether or not maybe they contracted something at the airport or from somebody else, like we don't know those specifics. Yeah. But what we do know is that these people are confirmed cases and that should be enough for um, the people who have flown to, to get checked, especially if they have mild symptoms, which I did in my case. Yeah. But had I not known that information, I probably just wouldn't have bothered getting tested because I'm fine now, you know, and... I've been in self-isolation for 14 days, but I've also been around my fiance for 14 days with those symptoms. Yeah. Um, and that still isn't enough for him to get tested. Like he could be carrying it and he's going outside and meeting other people on site with his job. And so what's yeah. the with, you've obviously just come off the back of 14 days self-isolation and now you've been tested. What are you being told now? You have to carry on that self-isolation for, um, no, they said at the moment I can do what I need to do. I'm not stuck at home, but if I do come out positive, I will need to self-isolate again. For how long this time? 
maybe two weeks. I don't know. Wow. I don't know. They said they'll call me and they'll tell me the next steps. Yeah. Um, so keeping, I suppose if we can turn it around a little bit for anyone that may get, get a positive test or anything, or if you've got to self-isolate, how are you keeping yourself as a creative busy in this time? Mm. Um, <laughs> so I needed to get over my jet lag and the disappointing news and all that stuff yeah. and uh, <laughs> cry. Um, but now I'm in that space where I'm starting to like go into the things, my to-do list that I should have done. Yeah. I'm doing those sorts of things now, like um, you know, dating websites and, and uh, little projects that I wanted to do. I'm now getting to doing them. Um, I, I'm writing with Sam who did Here Come the Habibs. Yeah. So Sam and I have scheduled daily sessions where we write together. And that's been really good for my creativity to just, you know, imagine a world of not being stuck inside. Um, I have two other projects that I'm, I'm writing as well independently. So yeah. the big, I think the big sort of key message that a lot of creatives are saying is that if you have the opportunity to write, write, because yeah. that's probably the, the best thing to do whilst in isolation. It doesn't require you to be anywhere specific for it. Um, but it's, it's also like finding that inspiration too, right? Like you need to go for walks or do exercise or, or, you know, see people behave that may trigger an idea in your brain to go write a scene. Um, so yeah, those sorts of things are, I think are a little bit harder to, to tap into. And then obviously like, um, I think meditation has been really helpful to just zone out for 10, 15 minutes. Um, I've been doing hit workouts at home. Um, <laughs> so that's been good. Yeah. Hey, are you still doing your one-on-one -on -one coaching? If anyone wants to get in touch with you for acting? No, that's, that's been really tough to be honest, because, um, like within our industry, a lot of live performance venues have shut. Yeah. Um, productions have stopped because there's too many people on set. Um, and so in turn, there are no auditions happening at the moment. And when there are no auditions, nobody's prepping to audition. So it's like this domino effect um, where I'm not getting the work because there's no auditions happening for anyone or for myself. And then on top of that, people are losing jobs. Mm. Um, you know, maybe if there were young students who were coming to me and were reliant on their parents to pay, their parents are having to make stricter decisions on their budgets so usually it's like the extracurricular stuff that that gets cut first yeah um unfortunately so yeah it's it's a little bit i mean on one hand it's like i chose a career that was very uncertain mm. but the certainty behind that is knowing that there is work out there yeah and it's just a matter of like knowing Maybe it's this job or maybe it's this job. Um, but at the moment, it's like not only am I, am I uncertain about my next job, it's also the uncertainty of knowing when the live performance arena is going to pick up again and when productions are going to start again. And that's, that's the harder part to grasp onto because there is no, no work at the moment. Everything has to stop. Yeah. Every non-essential thing has to stop social distancing is a thing 
Like everything that I do relies on human contact on one level or another. Um, And, you know, I applaud all the performing arts schools and, and colleges and dance schools who are jumping online and trying their best to keep their students inspired. And, you know, Zoom's just like completely gone off through the roof with like the amount of people who are using the system now. But at the same time, they're also losing students by the bucket load because, you know, the budget thing or they're just not getting what they used to get because the virtual thing isn't the same. Like there's so many different reasons and um, people are losing businesses as a result. Like it's just this domino effect of stuff. And unfortunately, our, our government, I think today announced that the, the, the social distancing ban is going to go on for another three months. So oh. three months from now is what, April, May, June, July. So oh. July. <laughs> and we're not even on lockdown yet. I think, I think personally, I'm like, let's just, just lock down a little bit or get, because I did hear one as well. And the thing is like sometimes with sensationalized media of what's going out on Facebook, you don't know what's true and what's not. So I always say like, look at reputable sources, but I heard mm. one where it's like, if you get found to be disobeying it, you're either going to get six months jail time or an $11,000 fine. Mm. And because I live in Balmain in Sydney, I'm walking around the Bay Run and there's still people like running, jogging, walking. There's an outdoor gym area where there was like 20 odd people in that small vicinity. And I'm kind of like, well, who's enforcing it? Because it's all good mm. and saying it, but yeah, everybody's taking pictures and videos and going, is this happening? And I think, I think one of my things that I'm noticing at the minute, um, and somebody said to me the other day, because I, I was saying, I was like, people really need to start taking this seriously. Yes, it's a virus, but when the World Health Organization are saying, let's take it serious, let's lock it down. And then there was people, and even on the news the other day, when a journalist was asking, and some of the young ones was like, oh, I need fresh air, I need to go to the beach for my mental health. As somebody who's running a mental health program, it's kind of, Yes, it is essential that you go outside, you get fresh air, you get this, but please don't use it as an excuse to go, I need Mm. to go to the beach around other people for my mental, like we're all doing it tough, but we need to listen to what's being said so we can get a hang of this and then get on top of it and go back to normality and then we can sort of come back together. But what I want to say to you, uh, last of all, firstly, I'll thank you for taking time out to come on. Um, it's, not- it's been a busy day, mate. Like, <laughs> I am packed. <laughs> so you, you better, or I'll be charging over time. <laughs> but my last question yeah. would be, I suppose, with the initiative I put out to help the medical profession, just to stay at home and with you having gone through the experience that you have and, and still waiting on your test results, what would you say to anybody listening to this? Oh, my gosh. Um, I think it's a little bit like going back to stepping into someone else's shoes and it's until you've lived that experience that you go, okay, I get it. I get that I need to stay indoors um, because it it's affected me. And I think it's a little bit of like um, out of sight, out of mind um, for a lot of people because they haven't been personally touched by it. Um, so the only thing I could say is like, Think about the people you care about the most, the vulnerable, mm. your, your parents, your family, your grandparents. They're the people that we need to protect. Like you may feel 
great and invincible and safe, but just do it for those people because it's not just your own family you need to think about. It's other people's families who are out there too. So yeah, I mean, this is all going to be short term. This is not for the rest of our lives. And if we have to sacrifice a part of our livelihood or the, 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 the fresh air and nature and the things that, that keep you sane so that we can get out quicker, then, then just do it. And there are lots of other ways we can get into our, our um, mindfulness without having to go to nature. But I know it's like I understand that because I really needed that over the two weeks. Um, but it is doable is what I'm saying. It's not impossible. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's it really. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those things too. It's like, you know, you hear about people who, who have loved ones who have passed away because of drug overdoses and, you know, they think it will never happen to them because, and they still go and take drugs, but it's like until it happens to you, yeah. personally that you go guys you have to stop doing this because i got affected by that and i've lived it and i know how that feels and i don't want to impose that on anybody else so um yeah really like i can only give the advice but you have to look really think about it for yourself like is it worth hurting someone else potentially for me to get 15 minutes of air <laughs> Well, good advice and um, yeah, keep doing the incredible stuff you do, documenting it and everything you do. Thanks. Me and the campaign for being an advocate towards mental health and coming on there. Thank you as well. You was the amazing face behind um, doing the dance for one of my friends. Um, so I don't, I think I did tell you, but that was shared, I think nearly a thousand times by all the people in the UK that were Aww. my friend and a lot of yeah. the that came back was just like it was so beautiful and yeah it meant a lot to them so oh, glad. yeah um but where can people find out more information about you so they can follow you and listen to your oh. dog on this story gosh i should have written something up and just held it up <laughs> um so uh i'm pretty active on instagram so if you just do at cat hoyas k-a-t-h-o-y-o-s um there's also twitter which i kind of use um and that's at the cat hoyas because there was another cat hoyas on there um and then it's the same thing for facebook if people want to um check out facebook as well so yeah all those three channels are available but i'm pretty active on the gram because it's easy <laughs> <laughs> well, done, mate. well i will put up all the links to them as well so again i want to thank you for your time and look after thank you yourself. for your time we'll be following um your stories to see see your documents on on your test results and what what's next but um yeah thanks mate appreciate it thanks thank you so much for your time and good luck everybody i know this is tough for everybody um it's not just one person it's the whole world so just keep looking out for each other and and uh, just come from a place of compassion that we are all going through our own stuff and we just need to know how to get through it. That's all. Mm. All right. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, mate. See you soon. See ya. Bye. Bye.